Hello, everybody. Welcome to the space. Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. We're having quite a historical day today. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the swap volume. It's been incredible. I'll check it out now. We're approaching a third of a billion dollars. I like it. Yeah, I think uh, we're gonna four charts. Three hundred and twelve million last I checked, and we have about three hours to go. Incredible. Hello, Chad. How you doing? How's it going, guys? I am ecstatic, man. I'm having a great day. Hope you are too. Not too bad. Not too bad. What do you think of all this new volume the protocol's been having today? Uh, well, well, in general, I like the idea of, of new volume. I'm a little bit uh, disheartened of the where it's coming from. You know, I, don't, I don't think I celebrate, you know, uh, hacks or or you know malicious actors in any way, shape, or form. But um, I think one day we'll get to this this kind of number, and it'll you know be uh, all or at least the vast majority of it be just more legitimate funds. We we saw that with that's gonna say we saw that with Bitcoin in its early days. It wasn't always used for the best purposes and then it grew out of it. So I'm thinking maybe it's its silk road phase. Um, yeah well it's a common thing that whenever you have a new technology, just historically speaking Whenever you have a new technology, um, criminals are the first ones to really utilize it. And that's true with the internet, and that's true with uh, even like Bonnie and Clyde, I think, were the first ones to use, like, I think it was like the V3 or the V4 engine because they would, uh, they would outdrive all the rest of the cars. They wouldn't, the police cars weren't, weren't, as, weren't as quick. And so what they would do is that they would, uh, they would always rob banks that were near the border to the, to the next state. Because at the time, uh, police officers couldn't actually pass from state to state. And so there was actually was a debate in Congress. Uh, this is like, you know, 1920s or 30s, or how the number was. And there's a debate in Congress whether or not they should make it illegal to make gas tanks of, of a certain size or greater. Because they're, they thought that if we reduce the size of the gas tanks, then Bonnie and Clyde can't really, or similar criminals can't actually, you know, uh, rob a bank and then drive across the border to, to the next state. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't actually end up passing that uh, legislation. But but it is it is true that there is a commonality that that whenever you have a new useful you know important piece of technology, uh, it is oftentimes criminals who want to utilize it first because they're the ones that are most incentivized to adopt new technologies to stay ahead of you know the curve of uh, officials. Yes, it's true. Because Bonnie and Clyde couldn't have, you know, bought some, bought some gas tanks and had them in the car. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> Get around that. No, that's too hard. That's too hard. It's silly. Yeah, it's too hard. I was, my, my uh, main, that makes me so happy is, I know it's, you know, some of the, a lot of the funds are, you know, not the best. And it's a, there's a, you know, something criminal happening. But what I got me excited was the stress test upon the network 
Um, and it seems like the network is doing really well. Is Would you agree with that, Chad? I think overall it's doing really well. We, we haven't had any like significant issues. We had a, uh, a couple of ETH bugs that kind of showed themselves in the last few days, which were getting those like patched and worked out. Um, we got into a scenario where we were, had like over, I think it was 2,100 outbound transactions. Almost all of them, well, at least the vast, vast majority of them, were just like an R-Bot. And like one R-Bot had like, I think it was like 1,800 outbound you know, transactions waiting to be signed. And so I think it does show that there are some improvements and optimizations we can make. And I've, I've got a few ideas in mind, but I haven't even spoken to our, to the devs yet about it just quite yet, just because we've been focused on other things at the, at the moment. But I have, a, I have a, a few ideas how we can actually optimize things and actually um, speed things up and make it more, more fluid. But like, as we get more, more traffic and more volume and all these things happen, it's naturally going to show some, like some kind of cracks in uh, some aspects of, of, of ThorChain, which is just a natural thing to happen. So we just got to make sure that we, we're watching for those things and we find them, make small modifications to make them more efficient and smoother and, and carry on. I think one of the big things we want to work on, which I have a few ideas around this, but one of the big things we got to work on is how do we, how do we make the lives of, of our bots more efficient? Because in this particular case, like, they got stretched pretty hard with like the amount of capital required to arb the pools back, and we saw some deviation. I think the the biggest that I saw was like a twenty percent change from you know, the Bitcoin price on on Thorchain versus the Bitcoin price on like you know Binance or some other exchange, and that's largely because I think because the arb bots had just so much volume passing through it that they didn't have enough capital to be able to like arb it back, along with the problem of you do cough counting on the inbound transactions when you submit your Bitcoin to be, you know, traded. You have to worry about uh, the delayed outbounds. You have to worry about the, the TSS um, signing you know, being delayed. At that time period, we had like, you know, 1,800 transactions on the outbound of a single R bot. So like there's all these kind of components that we have to figure out ways of like making um, R bots more powerful. And it's, it's kind of funny because we've never really needed to deal with this, the, the, like how do we improve the lives of our bots ever in the life of ThorChain's history, just because we had never seen the, the, the point where our bots are getting stretched. Like, we've gotten so much volume and traffic passing through the network that ARBs themselves are like having a hard time keeping up, which is like, I think that's pretty much or close to one of the first times we've really seen this in our, in our history. And so, we're going to think long and hard about how do we improve and optimize the, the job of ARBs to make their much more quick and efficient to be able to cycle their funds, you know, from Bitcoin to ETH and then back to Bitcoin again, back to ETH, back to Bitcoin, ETH, and just like circle that as fast as possible so they can correct prices more efficiently. I was, I was hearing BDC went to about 30K temporarily on full chain and, um, it's the out, like you mentioned, the outbound delay as well. So ARBs are ARBing, but it's just there's so much throughput on the uh, on the network, and the network, as you know, is liberally designed only to um, handle so much outbound, which is dependent on the price. Maybe you want to talk about that a bit more about why why the delayed outbound or, or why the price deviated or which part of that. Uh, the price deviated is pretty self-explanatory, I think. Um, why? The outbound delay. So I know the network can only process so much outbound, um, which is priced in maroon. 
and that obviously because it's seven rooms um, set by the the price of room. So as the as the network gets utilised more, uh, the the you know obviously the the room price goes up, and then that affects how much outpel can happen in every block. And once that's full, then it gets you onto another block um, thereafter. And that's why normal transactions can take a while when we've seen the outbound queue uh, fill up. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of multifaceted. The outbound delay itself exists. It, it was something that we implemented uh, back in the early days of our of our public beta. Like this was like two years ago, and we had a, a couple exploits, and we implemented this kind of delayed outbound thing so that the community would have time to respond to some sort of you know exploit where fifteen million dollars is going out the door or something you know something crazy or whatever. Um, and that, that's the reason why it was implemented, just as a, as a safety measure, as a security measure. Um, on top of that, you have to worry about, like, TSS signing. TSS signing is not always the fastest. It's actually about to get a lot faster because in a couple of churns, we're going to go from five Asgard volts to six Asgard volts, which means obviously one more Asgard volt, so that's more signing faster. But then also, they're going to switch from 20 nodes per, uh, 19 or 20 nodes per Asgard to 16 and that doesn't sound like a, like a big difference between those two, but um, it's like it's a it's a, I think it's quadratic or I can't remember if it's exponential or quadratic, but it gets a lot faster even with like one less you know member in the uh, in the Asgards. So like that's the second component to it. And w- one of the ideas that I've been thinking about, and I, again I haven't spoken to the um, security team or the devs with us quite yet, but just an idea that may or may not happen. But was that um, that if you wanted to you could bond up as a swapper. Say, you know, say you're an R bot and you can bond up with some rune that's worth, let's just call it $100,000, some number. Uh, and that would, by bonding to your Thor name with $100,000 worth of rune, that would allow the network to, to skip confirmation counting for your particular transactions with like any transaction that's coming from your, your Thor name addresses, your Bitcoin address, your Ether address, whatever. And then it would also skip the delayed outbound um, because we have capital, you know, locked up that we can, you know, acquire in the event that it's, this is being abused or whatever. So we can claw back the, the value if we need to. Uh, and then also, I think it would also, even the TSS signing, it would prioritize these swaps to sign before the, you know, regular, kind of regular swaps. And I don't think this would be really utilized by anybody except for, for our bots or like, super high power users of like institutions possibly might use it but it's just an idea that i've been kind of throwing around as a way to like greatly increase the, the speed and efficiency of like large volumes of trades passing through the network sounds good sorry, sorry, background noise there. On uh, Telegram, I've been inundated with people, um, especially when we had that massive um, outbound delay with that one ARB. You know, they were so worried about their funds. I said, you know, and I was showing them the outbound. I was like, listen, it's going to be okay. I had like six different private conversations. So if you can speed up the efficiency of the network, I think that's I think that's fantastic. And based on what I was seeing in the Dev Discord, um, there seems to be a general sentiment shift from new features to add uh, making things more streamlined and optimizing and and I I think that's definitely the right call at this point seeing that you know this is a great stress test network so I'm very excited yeah, technically like if if you did implement this feature theoretically 
and let's assume that the ARBs use it, um, then the delayed outbound would actually be a lot, a lot less because, you know, a large percentage of the trade volume on the network is, is our bots. That's always been true and it will always be true. And so if you remove their capital from the calculation of how long our like outbound transactions should be delayed, um, you know, you're probably going to reduce the, the delayed outbound for even just regular swappers, um, some, some, some level of significance just because you're no longer including their uh, the outbound value in the calculation of like how long we delay things because they're getting skipped because they're, they like just bonded up with a hundred thousand dollars with the rune or $200,000 with the rune of all the value is. Cool. I'm going to take a minute to uh, just step back and um, introduce everybody as we go for a bit. Um, so I'm Chris. Uh, cows are way um, not able to make it, so we thought we'll, we'll have the space. Otherwise, we'd, we'd miss it, and I know that the community likes it. We've got Chad, obviously lead developer, and then we've got Dennis, which is a, uh, a ThorChain moderator. If you guys want to add anything else to your background, um, please feel free to do so now. Uh, no, I'm good. I just mo I moderate the Telegram. I've been part of this community for three years. I absolutely love it, and uh, I'm just excited to be here. They all know me. Yeah. <laughs> so the Q3 report was um, was released uh, yesterday, which is uh, very good. So this is on Medium, if anyone hasn't checked it out. So I thought I might use that as a bit of a guide. Uh, I ran through, actually I made a video uh, yesterday. I've just got to do the editing, just going through that in a bit more depth. So I thought this is a really good um, thing to talk about. And one of the things, probably the first up looking at the stats, seeing in Q3 was 114% uh, volume increase. We're looking at the 24-hour uh, the volume, but I think um, it was more important to get the, the cumulative volume. And I think a lot of that's to do with streaming swaps. You can see that on the chart, on the full charts, once that goes. Um, just the impact streaming swaps has had on, um, on the volume over the quarter. I don't know if it's worth adding any more comments on that. Well, it's 140. That's a massive amount compared to Q2. And it might, like, Bitcoin hasn't really done much except go down 2000 in the quarter. So, yeah, I think, I'm really surprised. <laughs> Good. What, what was really interesting is that, like, when we were discussing the concept of streaming swaps, like, months and months ago, before it was, like, implemented and stuff, and there was a debate, like, you know, amongst the devs and such about, like, okay, we're going to reduce the fees, in fact, in some, in some sense, uh, have a more efficient way of, of utilizing capital which will inevitably just reduce the cost of, tr of trading and such and that means that uh the lps and nodes like might earn like a lower yield which makes sense uh but then like also like because you're expanding the network to allow larger trades of you know whale trades and this kind of thing that like you're going to get more you're going to you're going to expand the market of what fortune the type of person fortune can 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 address and does that Increase in market counteract the, the the loss in revenue of the the current swappers of the Fortune network like at, at that time, and that was a really that was kind of like a debated topic, and people felt different ways. And, and myself and Lena kind of felt like there there would be a, a good amount of like new capital and large large whales coming into the network because we because largely because if you look at the trade volume of sexes of like Binance and Coinbase, like this is like. Ten billion dollars or something crazy. Like there's so much addressable market to capture, 
And by, by beating them out just on pure execution, you might be able to siphon off, you know, a good amount of their liquidity in theory. Um, and, and after we've been like running it for, you know, nearly a quarter now, whatever it's half of a quarter or two thirds of a quarter, whatever it was, uh, the, the income of the, the network that the actual like note system income on the network is like just about the same as it was before we implemented this feature. I think it was like 52% of the, of the rewards of the network was from swaps and 48 was from luck rewards. And now it's at like 50, 48% or something like this, you know, so it's more or less the same. And I think now it's actually, uh, to be fair, now it's actually harder to accomplish that just because the price of rune today is at $2. Whereas when we implemented the feature, the room was at like a dollar twenty or something like this. So that block reward value was worth more now than it was, you know, a couple months ago. And so I think it's like the increase in Rune's price is actually, you know, in terms of this particular metric has countered it in some ways. But we still, even with all that, we still have enough yield coming in that that it's like still high, which is pretty awesome. When you when you look at the four charts um, for the breakdown of liquidity fees you can and versus block rewards you can you can see this decline as well so it's um and i know that's dependent on the, the size of the reserve so it's, it's trending well uh and i'd you know expect to see that that type of trend to hopefully continue um where the liquidity fees are becoming you know more and more at least half of the actual um income for the network but the, the trend is definitely in the right direction yeah, I'd be curious to see, like, once we get more wallets integrating with streaming shops like Trust Wallet, for example, once we get more wallets in general, just more wallets. And, like, we just got MetaMask, for example, was a, was a new one we just added uh, last month or a few weeks ago, wherever it was. Like, just getting more integrations, that's obviously going to push in that particular direction. So, uh, enough to mention the bull market. Once we get some, the bull market runs and, like, obviously just trade just kind of blows up everywhere because that's what happens in bull markets like that's gonna you're gonna see the increase in in, in um, block reward and uh, fees collected to be even more significant so i think we're definitely trending in the right direction i'm, I'm quite proud that even during a bull market we're still getting to 50 percent is pretty unheard of in the industry for the most part yeah yeah absolutely so that's any other key metrics no i think when we talk about integration, um, you can see it was $140,000 worth of affiliates was paid out in the quarter as well, which can go onto any asset, which is really cool because it used to only be room. So there's a lot of money on the table for, for interfaces that, you know, build an interface, utilize ThorChain, and they can get that, get that affiliate income, which is really good as well, a way to sustain yourself through these times. Um, and I suspect that figure will only go up um, as, to, as time goes on when the market heats up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lending, any uh, any major updates on on lending? How we've seen that? I know we're, we're 46 days in now. Um, anything worth talking about on lending? Um, we, it, overall, so far, uh, on lending has performed kind of as expected. Um, we haven't seen it be like this huge blow out of the water kind of feature quite yet i think that's largely because of two main reasons uh one is it's it's bear market and nobody wants to open or close loans in general 
just because there's just not much, that much interest. Um, and the, and you can see that as, as also true on like Ave and Compound and more established portfolios. Like their their volume is relatively uh, quite low. Uh, I think that's one thing. The second thing is that, that um, I underestimated personally. I, I underestimated how much the fees were going to be on lending. Um, I thought it would be like more reasonable. But then I, once you think about more of about there being four trades to open a loan, four trades to close, close a loan, that's a lot more. It's you know four is a lot bigger than than one or or, or two trades. And so, um, not to mention the virtual pool can become you know more and more shallow depending on the scenario we're in. So fees actually are playing a, a bigger role to to like not not getting in larger loans. I think the largest loan we've seen so far was I think like three hundred thousand or something like this that I, that I recall seeing, which was really big, uh, given given the the state of things. But um, once we get streaming loans, uh, streaming swap loans or streaming loans, I guess streaming loans makes sense. Uh, once that feature is launched, which it's it's coming up soon. Uh, I think that's going to, unless I'm hoping that they'll start seeing some like larger participa participation for like larger whales and that kind of thing to come in and start opening up large Bitcoin loans or something like this uh, and see much more burning of, of buying and burning of, of room. Yeah, cool. Uh, 344,000, biggest, biggest part of the amount. Yeah, with, without streaming loan, loans, that's a pretty massive pretty massive loan to be fair and just looking at uh the pools uh, the bdc pool drive drive debt basis points is 55 percent. so that, that's that's gonna that's gonna limit the amount of streaming swaps you can do across the pool right compared to if it was at 95 percent. yeah at 54 percent, it would streaming swaps would allow you to do just two two sub trades so it wouldn't be that much i think that's actually uh about a fifty percent reduction in fees in that particular instance, uh, if my if my mind math is uh, accurate. So it's it's really not going to be that much, and this is largely because we're seeing all this huge, huge, huge trade volume uh, of of the Bitcoin ETH pool from from all this trade that we're, we've been seeing. Like we're like five days into October, and we're we've already surpassed a billion dollars in trade volume, which has already surpassed the total trade volume of the last month, the previous month which is just like pretty wacky. So all that trade volume is obviously pushing the, the virtual pool of the Bitcoin and ETH pools down, which is what it's supposed to do by design. Um, but one of the new features that we, that we got um, uh, in, in version 120, 121, that hasn't been flipped on quite yet. And we're waiting on that for until this whole uh, chaosness kind of, this chaos kind of calms down some. But uh, one of the features is that we allow the network to dynamically determine on its own um, um, algo to determine what is the sensitivity of how much a, a, the Bitcoin pool, the ETH pool individually should be so that it keeps it uh, from, you know, to staying more deep. And so you have more, uh, less fees and more streaming, streams, uh, sub swaps within your loan, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that'll certainly improve things quite significantly, very significantly, I actually would say. But we're just waiting for all this chaos of, you know, this FTX hacker and all the, you know, stuff that's going on and not do anything wacky or crazy in the protocol now when things are already kind of pretty extreme. Just let things calm down first. And then once things kind of simmer down, we can start kind of rolling out these features. Yeah, that'd be the uh, dynamic max anchor slip calculation. It's featured in the article. 
Yep, that's it. Uh, so I do have a question. So for streaming swaps and lending, oh, some streaming swaps and lending and savers, they're, they're implemented, they're ready to go. It's just waiting for, I guess, you know, the, the, the switch to be flipped, the media to be activated. Do you know any idea when that will happen? Is that looking like within the next seven days or, or longer? Um, if I had to guess, I would probably say um, seven to 14 days. It really just depends. To me, this is how I'm looking at it. It really just depends on um, when we get past all this craziness that's happening in the moment. And I don't, I, I, I don't want to roll out new features in, in the middle of, you know, something crazy happening. Like volume is super, super high. And I don't want to roll a new feature that maybe it has some sort of bug or whatever causes problems or whatever. Like you don't want to do that when you're in the middle of all this uh, crazy volume happening. So it just doesn't make sense to do it at this moment. So as soon as that stuff kind of clears out, the next thing to do is to configure the, the dynamic max anchor, which that should be relatively fast. Like maybe take a day or two to do that. Once that's done and the virtual pools are, are you know, relatively uh, accurate with who they should be, which is around 95% relative to the layer one counterparts, then we can enable uh, streaming loans. Um, and then once you have that going, we can go ahead and enable uh, streaming uh, savers as well. Which would arguably add a lot more volume into it as well. That's why you need to have that configuration. Otherwise, yeah, you're just adding more volume to the pools, which reduces the, uh, you know, the deals lenders are going to get potentially. Yep, more volume is a good thing in general. So there's a piece here for Tor accounting. So Tor being the decentralized uh, stable coin that sits within Forchain as an accounting. You can't you can't get your hands on it. Um, it always has a market cap of zero. And I've I've seen the talks regarding perhaps making this um, perhaps making this usable so people can have it. People can utilize this this decentralized uh, stablecoin that has been around for 14 months. It's not something new in any way. It came out in ADR 003. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it today because obviously this has been a discussion for, for some time uh, with regards to using Tor beyond the internal accounting and um, like the accounting within lending. Do you have any specific thoughts on that? Do you think it's too soon? Do you think it's a possibility? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my personal feeling is, is that it's too soon. The reason why I say that is because I would like to see the Tor, um, you know, Oracle, if you want to call it that, uh, kind of perform in reality, perform in the, in, on, you know, mainnet for a good amount of time before we, you know, uh, put more, you know, weight on it in a sense. Uh, with all this kind of craziness we've seen with, you know, Rune's price performing relatively well along with, all this arbitrage going through the network, blah, blah, blah. We saw some that the stablecoin pools in general really kind of you know, broke from the, the layer one, like the market price, the pool price of the layer of the stablecoins broke from the market price uh, pretty well. Uh, multiple coins went up, multiple coins went down. It was just like, it was a little bit of a pandemonium in some sense, uh, largely because of this huge, this huge guy making this uh, huge trades and, our bots is not even like being quite ready for this kind of volume. And we saw, uh, you know, like I think BUSD hit like, like a dollar 10 or like, and one hit like 86 cents or something like this at one, at one particular time. And 
the tour price overall performed really, really well. It, it didn't really dislodge all that much. The most that it dislodged was about to a, went to a dollar four relative to the other other stable, stable coins in the pool. Like that's almost nothing. But then at the same time, we also saw that the the the, the depths of the tour pool like just like just plummeted down to like I think it would hit like seventeen percent or eighteen percent of of the uh, the original like layer one size. So like that kind of proved that the that the defense mechanism mechanisms built into derived assets like was performing well that even in the scenario where we have like crazy trade volumes happening to the network and like multiple like almost all of the stable coin um um like pools like layer one pools like they all got into like wacky states and like you know dislodged from their market price even with all of that happening the, the the tour asset still held up pretty darn fucking well, which I was really kind of um, uh, delighted to see that. So that I just I just kind of want to see the tour asset, just how it performs against like crazy scenarios like we just saw this past week, and just let it have more time to bake and burn, so that when it does come time that we want to like talk about enableness as a general purpose asset. Um, we can say that, okay, we've been watching it for the last, like, you know, six months or a year, whatever the time span was, and this is what we saw, right? Here's the pros, here's the cons, here's the bugs we saw, here's the patches we made or whatever it is. So far, we haven't really needed to make any patches or changes or at all. It's like it's really held up strongly on its own two feet, which is pretty awesome to see. But, like, I just want to see it kind of prove itself more before we, uh, you know, put more weight on that on that uh, concept. Cool. Uh, I know that there's been very lengthy uh, threads in Discord, discussions in Discord about how it would perform. So it's it is really good to see it um, in action under different circumstances because you know you can talk as much theory as you want, and you know there's been a lot of concern about will ARDS hold up in certain situations, particularly when ARDS is a dependent. You know, he's required in many situations with the full chain, so it's really good to see it um, in action and actually getting those hard evidence. Right, like what I was kind of commenting earlier about, like um, spending some time in the next few months to try to see how, what we can do to improve the efficiency of ARBing. Like that'll all make Tor a safer asset if ARBs can ARB more efficiently and more effectively, and um, even with less capital. That that would be. Uh, a pretty significant improvement, not just for the the layer one pools in general, but also that inherently means that it also makes us a good amount of improvement for for Tor and the rest of the derived assets. Sweet. It's going to be adequate now. Even even with synthetics, um, do you see anything? that can be done more with synthetics because obviously they don't have the confirmation time issues. They, um, they don't need to go through Bifrost and, and all that type of stuff. Is, is there any improvements you can see just with using synthetic assets to, to, to speed up ARBs? Um, I think the, the synths themselves, like they performed without a hitch. That is not that I know of at least. Like they were perfect. Like there was absolutely nothing wrong with the, with this, with the synths in the last you know week or two. Um, they performed absolutely perfectly. The problem that I have with synths is that I would like to see, and I started a conversation with this with like a few weeks ago with the community as a whole. The problem with synths is that I, I want to see a fail-safe or a circuit breaker on synths so that in the event that, that synths go really bad in the wrong direction, 
that the network has a methodology to protect itself effectively that doesn't cause some sort of like, you know, um, um, uh, I'm looking for death spiral like scenario. Like, and so I made a suggestion to the community a, a little while ago and there's, you know, there's a hotly debated, you know, topic of blah, 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 and people can argue one direction or the other. But in the end, we, we need to make some kind of change and largely because uh, the community saw fit to enable savers for stables. Savers for stables is really going to add a significant amount of risk to the to the protocol. Not so much now or even in the next like couple of years, uh, but when we go from a bull market to a bear market in you know what is it going to be four years or five years, whatever the hell the number is going to be, like that could be quite uh, devastating for the protocol. And so we need to make sure we have the correct uh, protections in place to make sure that we handle it appropriately and, and, and correctly. So it's not like, a, like anything we're like rushing to fix or anything like this, but in the long term, we need to have some sort of like circuit breaker or, or a fallback so that we can handle that scenario if it, if it ever occurs. I totally agree. Because for stables, it makes total sense. Because obviously, this, for, for people listening, the stable coin price obviously doesn't move. So, you know, it's a dollar. But then Rune's going to go, you know, Rune went to from $20 down to a, a dollar. And if you look at the impairment loss curve, um, once you're going over 50% reduction, it's it's not good. So you need there's going to be impairment loss against when you're pairing rune against a stable coin, um, no matter what. And you need a way to defend it. It's great to get that yield. I think you in some of the things you talk about a negative yield when it gets too high, but there needs to be some protection because your it, it's it, it's going to happen. There's going to be impairment loss when you have a volatile coin volatile asset paired against the stable asset right so when the when the synth value stays the same and the rune value goes down like in 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 a scenario where we go from bull market to bear market for example the more volatile the the asset is the non-rune asset is the better it is for the protocol right so if you look at the last Mm. movement um the last movement from bull to bear the price that Rune made against the against the stable against the dollar was about twenty x price change, right? Now for for Bitcoin, I think it was about a six x price change. For for Ethereum, I think it was about a five x price change. And as you get to you know smaller market cap assets, it, it, it kind of gets closer and closer to, to Rune's movement, which makes logical sense because Rune's market cap is much less than than Bitcoin or Ethereum's, and therefore it's going to be naturally a more volatile asset than, than, than the, the Bitcoin or Ethereum. So, you, so you're going to have more risk on those assets. And of course, stable coins are stable, so they don't move at all. So that has the greatest amount of risk. So uh, while the, we saw a 5 or 6x price change for Bitcoin and Ethereum, respectively, we saw a 20x price change on, on stables. So that could be a, a real problem into the future, which is why I want to be enabled this feature. Is why, that's why I started to talk to the community about, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then we're going to greatly increase the, the risk of the protocol. And we'll just, we'll, let's, let's make the necessary changes and adjustments to make sure we protect everything. Nothing, nothing spirals in any particular direction. So in the end, it's like, it's the LPs are taking on the risk, right? The LPs are taking on that risk. We want to make sure they're, they're well protected. Yes. I totally agree. It's another, I mean, you can, you talked about synthetics without savers and that's, you know, oh, there's risk there, but you know, we can, we can look at that. But I think with stables, yeah, it's, it's, it's not risk. It's not there's some degree of risk. It's pretty certain it's going to happen. 
that's that's my thing. So I, that's why I totally believe there needs to be some protection. Yeah, I think most of the debate at this point, I don't think anybody is debating against doing something. I think everybody kind of agrees that something needs to be done. And this is a question of like, what is that something, which is kind of a hotly debated topic. I think it really comes down to, to two ideas. One is that we um, do what I suggest, which is uh, just implement a negative yield, meaning that once the synth utilization, you know, exceeds uh, a certain percentage, like goes above, right now the synth cap's at 60%, I believe. If it goes to 61%, uh, we start to see a negative interest, which should, you know, A, remove, move capital from the, um, from the savers to the LPs. So we're, we're, we're incentivizing the savers to leave, which is what we want them to do anyway. And we're incentivizing the LPs to stay because we're giving them even more yield than they were getting a moment ago. So that's like, we want the LPs to stay and we want the, uh, you know, the savers to leave. And so this is creating that exact you know, incentive structure that we want to create the behavior we want. The second option is that we just do basically forced ejections or, or, or what we historically called the network uh, Ragnaroks. So once we get to a 61% synth utilization, uh, the network just starts like ejecting savers from the network. Just basically liquidate you and, and not liquidate is the wrong word to use. We basically take whatever you have and we, you know, we just give it back to you uh, on your, on the layer one and, and just cause you to exit the system uh, in one form or another. And so that would work too. But the problem that I have with that is that it only does half, the, it only solves half the problem where right? you, we want, we want one to stay. We want one to leave. Right. And so we, we want, doesn't really create the proper structure to cause one to leave and the other one to stay, right? And, and, and in the end, like causing force ejections is also negative because you're reducing the pool value. By doing so, you're causing pools to become more shallow, obviously, because you're forcing people to leave. But in a negative interest system, um, you're not actually losing capital, right? You're actually not making the pools aren't becoming more shallow. They're actually staying at where they are now. They're actually not getting in, not getting any shallow at all, uh, you know, in terms of just the, the negative interest component to that. So it's Structurally, for the protocol, that is definitely the, the. To me, it's clear that that's the better way of going at it. You may argue from a user perspective, they may not like that approach, and that's a perfectly legitimate, you know, position to take, take and so forth and so on. But it's it's my prerogative or my interest that what comes first and foremost is keeping the network safe and healthy. That's the that's the, that's the, whatever is best for the protocol comes first over what is best for an individual user of it, or, or LP or, or Sabre or whatever. They are come secondary to what is best for the protocol. At least in my view, that's, that's true. What about the trends? Like, these things can be temporary. Like, you can go over 60%, go up to 62%, and then go back down. If you force eject, when, when conditions become more favorable, obviously those people have to then re-enter, as opposed to having economic incentives to control it. What do you this sort of therefore I'm kind of half arguing against the uh, half arguing for the negative interest rates to do economic incentives for people to take action um, as opposed to just force ejecting them. Right, right. And and once people once you eject people, only a percentage of them will come back, you know, later on. Like even if you if you actually look at the number of like UTXOs in Bitcoin that are like over ten years, it's like a constantly increasing number. Right, like if you, you can actually bring up a graph and show and show it. I don't have it on hand to show everybody, but like that's, that's just because like oftentimes people just forget, 
right? People forget they have Bitcoin. People forget they're, you know, an LP and, and Lorchain or a saver or whatever. And so, like, as soon as you force them to leave, they'll probably never come back. Some percentage of them. Like, I think it's like, I don't know where it's in Bitcoin. I think I want to say it's like somewhere between like three and four percent of the UTXOs on Bitcoin are like over 10 years old or something like this. I can't, I can't remember the exact number. I'm, I'm, I'm just making a rough guess right now. So apologies if I get it. I'm horribly far off, but, um, and so like there is a certain percentage of people that are engaged in the community that will just never, never take, ever take, ever take any action. And if you force an action upon them, they will, they won't come back in later. So it's, it's, it's because of that, well, one of the many reasons I think it's just better for the, for the protocol to keep them in. I'd rather have their, their dead capital stay in the network than their dead capital stay, you know, cold wallet somewhere. I agree. And there's lots of examples of economic incentives, incentive pendulum, as an example, as opposed to just injecting people. So I do prefer, personally, I, I prefer that economic incentives over over um, taking definitive action against people. Right. Right. All right. And, uh, before I go on to some of the new features, uh, Dennis, is there anything you wanted to to, to jump in and, and talk to? Um, no, I, I've been just listening. To, I don't really have anything meaningful to contribute. I'm actually learning a lot by what Chad's saying. I, about the forced ejection, I was wondering if you could do a combination of those two strategies of negative interest or forced ejection, or if it was like tiered, or depending on the severity of the situation, you could implement both strategies, but that's just me brainstorming. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I would be avoided to overcomplicate the solution and implement multiple solutions for a single problem. And in some ways, you can make the argument that negative interest does do ejection. So just it is incentivize people to leave through negative interest rates rather than the network selecting somebody for them. And then, okay, you're the guy. You're the next one to be kicked out. And, and what the mechanic is to determine who is the next person to be kicked out is... is you know, you can debate one way or another, and there's not really, a, to me, there's not really a clear, concise, and obvious choice. It, 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 whatever it is would probably semi-arbitrary to some degree, at least. So I would be hesitant to overcomplicating it. And what I really, one of the things I liked about um, the negative interest rate approach is that it's actually very, very simple and very, very clean. Like, if you want to implement this tomorrow, hypothetically, the amount of, like, code changes required would be like maybe 10, 20 lines. Like it's like a very clean, very easy, very simple change. And it would just work very well. If you want to do the force ejections, that's a much more complicated. There's a computational aspect to it that would be very quite intense. And I don't really know off the top of my head because I haven't really spent the time thinking thinking about it. But like if this even just the idea of like, okay, you've got 10,000 uh, savers in Bitcoin. All right, now we've got to establish which one of these guys we want to kick out. And you can talk about, okay, let's assume that it's like the last one in is the first one. Say that's, that's, the, that's like the algo you want to go uh, first in or last in is the first out. And so you have to iterate through like, you know, 10,000, you know, records in the database to find the thing that you're looking for, which would be, you know, quite expensive in a, in a, in a KB store like this one. So it's just like, it's 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 so complicated to, to build that, and it has like cost to it that most people won't even you know think about because they're not engineers themselves or actually have to think about the practical implementation or something like this and code it out and build it in a way that that doesn't cost the network too much in terms of like compute. 
but like doing the negative interest rate is so clean, so simple, very efficient, like just beautiful. It would be a very beautiful solution in terms of like from an engineering perspective, it would be very beautiful. So uh, I, I, I kind of lean that, that way for, for a lot of reasons, but that's certainly one of them. That's a pretty convincing argument. I, I think the less complexity to the code is good. And someone who's not a dev, that's an insight that I lack. So I appreciate that context. Anything else on the list there, uh, Chris? If anybody wants to come up and uh, ask a question too, we always open up to Q&A yeah. at the end. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, I don't think I have anything else for the past. I just wanted to talk about audiobooks and some new stuff. From my understanding, that's pretty much it's very close to being done. Is there a ETA for audiobooks? I'll be waiting until streaming swaps is enabled for loans and everything else to, to be settled. Like, what's the, uh, what's the feeling on getting audiobooks in? So we were focused, obviously, on lending for a long time, and um, and now that lending's been launched, and we've, I think we've kind of ironed out the major bugs. As I'm sure there's a few more to, to work on, but I think we've ironed out the major bugs, and we're about to launch streaming loans and all this kind of stuff, streaming savers. I think once we finish that and get that out the door, and everything looks you know pretty good, we can move on to like features. And the next two major features that I have in mind personally is. Memoless transactions, which I think would be very useful for host reasons. Um, that code is already written. It's not merged yet. It needs to be reviewed and merged and all that kind of stuff and tested and such, so forth and so on. Uh, and then there's also needs to be a server, like a back-end server that needs to, needs to be built, which is like an open source thing that anybody can run. Uh, I'll probably be building that, you know, uh, soon afterwards once, get, once that gets merged. Um, that's probably the next thing, that, and that's something that I think um, – Thorchain Bull wants to utilize that that kind of server plus the memoless transactions functionality to build its own his own UI that's very fast and efficient and clean and simple and you can use it with any wallet in the world and everything just it's just very very simple simple. That's the next thing. Uh, and then after that one is would be order books. And order books is already live in the code. It's like it's it's sitting there, but it's not actually enabled. It's feature flagged off. Um, there are some changes I want to make to it. We have to like do some updates to it, some uh, to some of the swap logic, and there is some testing that needs to be done. And I, I want to I want to implement uh, streaming swaps on order book items so that you can get um, um, a better like better price execution on your order your limit orders. That's something I want to build, which I don't think that will be very hard. It will be relatively simple, I think. Um, Actually, I think it'd be very simple. Come think that it should be quite easy to do, but we're so close to launching that particular feature in terms of like, like there's not a whole lot of work to be done, but it's kind of on it's on the kind of the, the shelf for the time being until we get through the memo transactions first. But there has been a push. I'll have to say though, like there has been a push by some of the devs, and I think like Iridanus and Pluto were kind of were prompting this question in the general channel uh, yesterday. I think it was about like whether or not we as devs should look at Q4 as like purely just stability, reliability, decentralization, and like kind of house cleaning and like nothing like too sexy or exciting, you know, in terms of features or whatever, but just like focus on just like uh, cleaning up the house in one shape or, or, or form. 
Uh, I don't personally agree with this mentality myself. I, I'm kind of a ship it kind of guy. Uh, I'd like to see memoless transactions and limit orders happen. Uh, and I'm willing to, to delay other things in the interest of, uh, you know, uh, the viewpoint of Iridanus and Pluto. So I'd like to at least see those two things like, happen over the next like month or two. But the rest of it we can spend on reliability and uh, stability and decentralization. And, and to be honest, we haven't even had a conversation about like what entails that. Like what are the actual items we want to take on to improve these things? I have a few things in mind myself I, I would love to see happen. I would love to see us do some more analysis of the key sign and key gen failures and understanding why that's, you know, um, flaky at times. Yeah. I'd love to understand that better. I'd love to get into what I, what I call block set, which is a way for the network to be able to like, make observations on external chains with um, two, like, between 100 to 400 times more efficiency um, just to make them prove things and get things to be faster on the, on the protocol and be able to stand a much higher volume or throughput without putting much pressure on the protocol. Um, so there's a, there's a bunch of things that I have in mind, but I don't know what Iridanus and Pluto have in mind. They might have some things in mind that I haven't even thought of. So I want to have that conversation with them at some point in the near future. Sweet. All right. Um, any chance of getting Mumia V2 in? Or that that's still down the line? Oh, yeah, Mumia V2. Yes, Um I think that is something that that, that uh, devs are quite intently to to get that sooner than than later, um, and we'll like go into some more reasons why that is kind of into the future, but not quite today. But yeah, I think that's definitely something we want to do. We want to we want to get rid of the Mimir admin key uh, and move it to purely a node operating system. And part of that is like creating different Mimirs that have different. Um, different thresholds for how many votes are required to make a change. Right now it's like nodes can only vote like a two thirds majority to, to make anything happen. And memory admin is just yeah. like, you know, a single, single key, single vote. And so it's more about like giving nodes like, Oh, if you get like three or four nodes, you know, voting in a certain direction, then we, we can flip off and some operational commands like trading, for example, or a specific chain or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but not economic changes like, you know, like the um, uh, like the uh, emission curve, for example, would be a, where we're still required a two thirds majority and that kind of thing. Yep. So cool. Um, bit of work there. So uh, I've got one more item on the list, but if people want to come up and ask questions, just put a uh, invite to speak, um, and then we'll, we'll get that going for when I finish my next one. So I'll talk about um, something that isn't talked about probably too much, and that's the uh, that's node, node and node operators and the bonding. So I'll, I'll see you put a, uh, a tweet out having a look at the uh, max effective bond for four nodes. It's been steadily increasing, which is really good. So this is the amount of bond that four nodes have been putting up. And if I have a look at fourchain.network, I was just here. You need, you would need to get into the next churn over uh, 959,000 room, else you will not get in the next churn, uh, which I just find amazing. So 
I think it's really good because that increases the uh, capacity within the network that allows more uh, savers to be added to the network as well, reduces the um, reliance on, on POL. So I just wonder if you had any chats having a look at uh, some of the node the node movements. We're now at 94 node, active node operators. Uh, so if you had any uh, additional comments there, Chad? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that that bond sizes are actually slowly increasing and we're getting a lot more nodes like it it feels like you know just a few weeks ago um the the maximum number of nodes we, we were going to have in the network was like 91 uh, between all the standby and active and you sum it up i think it was like 91 or, or 92 or something like this and so like to see like just a few weeks later and we're now at a place where, where i think we can like, get like 100 101 or 105 or how the number is now is like it's pretty pretty great because it shows that that new nodes are coming in people learning about the protocol people are taking large positions in rune and, and wanted to contribute to the, the protocol by running running nodes all that's like very 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 positive and i think at this point even without having the additional 10 or 13 nodes that are waiting in standby right now how the quantity is like even now i think we're all we're still at the highest amount of rune bonded in our like network's history which is pretty pretty awesome to think about and that's like at the bottom of the bear market i mind you so it's just like it's pretty it's pretty impressive that like even at the at the and during the bear market we are hitting like so many all-time high metrics obviously room price is not one of them but pretty much almost all of the other ones are all hitting all-time highs at, at you know during a, a bear market which is super bullish from a principles from a from a, um, a, a primitive's perspective and a, and a financial perspective. So, like when we go bull uh, in the next market, it, we have so many things aligned positively that just it's going to be. In my opinion, it's going to be crazy. Yes, we've got ninety-four node operators, eleven trying to get in. So that's one hundred and five people that could actually get in. Um, or, or they're eligible, so that's that is really good to see. And like I said, the uh, the average the average bond is just going up and up and up. I always felt that blockchain's positioning itself for the next bull. So all this work that's coming on, and you know, the first half of the year was was probably you know just a lot of the background stuff, no major announcements. Um, and then then this quarter, everything's coming to fruition, and we're starting to see that. And then if we get you know a couple more features um, on the roadmap get them implemented in Q4, then it's just sitting and ready. That's, that's my feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're doing pretty well. Like, and by the way, the, the, um, the max amount of nodes that the network can is configured to support at this moment. I mean, it could go higher, but just as an artificial cap on top of it is like 120. So another 15 nodes which isn't crazy that may happen over the next few months. Like we'll have the max cap of the actual protocol itself. We can, we can configure it to increase it to 130 or 150 or 250 or whatever, but like, but still like it, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. It, that's really cool. Um, but then you get, but then the, I guess the, this is where the argument for speed and optimization comes in. You get 120, and was it 20 per Asgard Vault? So you start to fill that up. So reducing the amount in the Asgard Vault would probably be good because it is that quadratic increase. 
So then you're trying to balance size and speed. Always a lot of fun. Does anyone have any questions that they want to uh, they want to ask? I I um I, if I don't mind, I'd like to ask one because I do get that question a lot, Chad, in Telegram. People ask me, and I say, you know, the the limit right now is 120. It is something that can increase if we were to hit the 120 threshold. Could you just break that down a little bit better so I can answer it? Like, how what what would be required to go above the 120? You know, is that something that's relatively simple or um, would, yeah, could you just describe that a little bit more? Um, so 120, if I understand correctly, I hope that I do, 120 is the default maximum number of validators set in the Cosmos SDK itself. On top of that, we have also have a, like, ThorChain layer, like, configuration set and um, to some number. I don't know, I, I can't remember the other numbers. Maybe it's 120, I think. But, like, it's one twenty. Yeah, yeah. So I think okay. so I think we have to we have to configure both in the Thorchain layer to to allow above one twenty and also the Cosmos SDK layer to allow above one hundred twenty. But we've never actually touched that configuration on the Cosmos SDK before because you know we never really needed to. I actually don't know offhand how hard or easy that is to change. My assumption is that it's pretty easy and not a big deal and whatever. Worst case scenario that it re- re- would require some kind of hard fork, but that would be that would be pretty extreme. I don't think that's gonna, gonna be needed, but most likely it'll be pretty fairly simple to change and, and we can do it in a single release. Perfect, thanks. In fact, we should probably set the Cosmos SDK like configuration to be like some arbitrarily large number, just so it's never just you know, it's out of the equation and we don't have to think about it again. Just said something like, you know, 300 or something that we probably never actually hit. And uh, we'll just let the ThorChain layer kind of control the validator's quantity. Is that something easy to anticipate when you increase the number of nodes? Like, because I'm assuming that would increase the length of the block time. Is that something you can easily know beforehand before you do it? Or what would you say about that? Um, I think, the yeah, it's hard to know offhand. Um, to be honest, like I don't remember the specifics of Tendermint to like to know the 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 math of how it actually like calcul- calculates it out. I'm not sure if it's like uh, if it's uh, all signing the same thing and rather than rounds of communication between them or, or not. But um, I would expect like, the 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 block times to increase, but I don't think it would be significant unless you get to like 150 or, or 200 before you start to see a very significant increase. I think we'll probably go from six seconds to to seven seconds when we, you know, at one twenty or so. Well, my my guess will will stay, you know, between six to seven seconds for one hundred twenty nodes. We try to go to two hundred or two fifty or three hundred, then that's going to be probably a bit higher than that. We've got one hundred five, so that's that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, it's very right. exciting. Does anyone have any questions? Come on up. This is uh, this is your moment to ask the Chad Bearford questions. Let's go. This is a great time, guys. All right, mate. I just approve someone. Uh, go. You can't hear you. Hi, can you guys hear me? Yeah. So, uh, Chad, uh, my question was around the five million 
room limit for the loans for, for the initial uh, cap. So once the streaming loans are in, my assumption is that the five million room cap is going to be hit like soon enough. What are what are Cordev's uh, thoughts on how to scale lending beyond that? Um, yeah, so there's a there's a couple ways of doing it. Um, there's really three ways of doing it, and people can debate what's which one they like they like the best. Uh, one is that we have about I think it's about sixty million rune in a standby reserve that that the team uh, has to it's a multi sig, and uh, we can if we burn rune from there, um, say we burn like nine million rune from that that wallet. Um, that would increase the, you know, the cap to like another three million on top of it. Um, so, technically, it's like not it's it is five million on day one, but technically, even right now, it's not five million. It's like six million or something like this, uh, or five five point three, I suppose, five point five point four. So it, it does kind of increase itself, uh, kind of automatically, just because of your burning rune. It kind of increases the the cap in some sense. But the first way you can do it is just by burning some rune from the reserve. That's the first option. Um, the second option is that we can change the uh, the lending lever, and so we can increase or decrease that number to to help kind of increase decrease the cap. The second option. And the third option is that like we can establish a new me- methodology of how we even cap it at all. I think they. The methodology we, we have now was um, primarily to, to kind of keep the lending kind of small relative to the amount of um, of rune that we have outstanding, which was about I think like fourteen million rune outstanding from from the uh, kill switch that wasn't wasn't uh, rune that was not minted, and so it's kind of leaning on that outstanding rune as a, as this kind of buffer or it's you know protection in some sense from you know protecting the the rune supply from inflating too much. And so we wanted to focus on that uh, at least on day one because we, you know, we wanted to give the protocol some time to prove that that it works. The lending protocol prove that it actually works as it behaves, and it's not there's any there's no major issues or or whatever. And we can look at the data and see like you know are are our assumptions about market psychology correct or are our assumptions incorrect, right? And we can see that once we actually have the system live. So that those are the three different ways of doing it. Uh, and if we didn't want to go by the lending lever, we wanted to create a new methodology of how we do capping. Um, my assumption is that I would just go by by pool depth, right? It'd be by ten percent pool depth, or thirty percent, or one hundred percent, or four hundred percent, or you know arbitrarily whatever number you want to set it to set it at that point. But the reason why I kind of like the way it is now is because it's not something that you have to maintain. You can just set the number, and, and in some sense, it'll just kind of scale itself up and down depending upon the movement of, of the uh, room price. So hypothetically, let's just say you're right, that we launched the streaming loans and we have a bunch of loans come in in a relatively short period of time. Uh, hopefully that would actually cause, you know, some decent improve, um, increase in the room price. I, I would assume that it would. Um, and, and that would cause the value of room to increase relative to the, to the assets, like uh, the collateral assets, like Bitcoin and ETH which means that the dollar value of more loans that can be ingested is more, right? And every dollar that's, you know, um, bought and burned from Rune, we increase the cap at, you know, 33 cents or so in its current uh, configuration. So, like, it, so that, that may have, like, kind of a, an effect that it kind of scales itself to the point where you don't necessarily have to touch it. But it, I could be wrong about that, and you might have to touch it. And if that's the case, we have a few different options to, to pick from. 
Nice. Any thought? Uh, any updated thoughts on the perps design? Because that could potentially uh, permanently burn some rune and create a, reduce the liability for the loan side. So, any updates on that? Yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Before I go into that question, the fourth option to scaling loan lending, uh, and it might be a bit surprising, but we were talking earlier about launching Tor as a general purpose asset. Right, in, in Thor BDC, and Thor F, and whatever, whatever, doing that would actually increase the cap on lending, because when you people open up, you know, to hold Tor, they are burning rune. By burning rune, you're increasing the, the cap on, on on the loans. So it's like that's that's fourth. The fourth option is actually just launching that feature right entirely and just letting it um, scale lending that way. Um, yes. Yeah, so perp design. Um, the, the kind of like, um, initial discussion that I've had with Lena around what this would look like is that it would pr predominantly use the, the, um, derived assets, which would also scale lending by the way, but which, which made me, made me think of that fourth option. Um, so it would use derived assets that people would take to, to take a leverage position on, on Bitcoin or short position or long position or whatever. Um, it would use a, um, a squared me mentality of liquidations. So, you know, let's just, let's just say that your collateral goes to the value of a, a, a buck 20, 120%. Uh, that might be the point of which it liquidates. In which case the, the other side, if you were shorting goes to the long side would get hundred percent of the value. And that extra 20% would go uh, to the protocol. It would, um, you know, permanently, permanently burn, burn room. Uh, from from the from the from the supply, uh, as that twenty percent will never be ever be minted back, and so it would just use that as uh, doing that. Or the other option is we could like just you know we could mint that rune and just like insert it into the reserve and have it just be uh, an income for the for the reserve, right? And so every time some liquidation event happens, it's actually profitable for the protocol, which is how you know um, Bitmex made. I think they were the first ones to create the idea of like perps like they were the first ones to do it uh and that's how they made fuck tons of money and, and they made they made fuck tons of money there's like fifty thousand bitcoin something crazy and then once they got shut down by like government they just used that money for their own like uh legal fees and, and their own retirement fund <laughs> which is pretty crazy but uh so yeah so that money that 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 they made uh for for their for the company of bitmex for us, we, we would probably just point it towards torching the protocol itself and just drive value to, to the protocol itself. So that's how that would work at a high level. There, wouldn't be, there, there isn't any plan to do anything unusual or crazy because usually when we add new features like lending or whatever, there's something unusual or creative or innovative about it. In this particular case, I don't think we necessarily need anything creative or unusual or, or innovative. Nothing has come to mind for me personally, or I mean, if that might that matter around something that's innovative, but not that I'm close to it. But at this at this time, I think we'll just doing purpose by itself and pretty straightforward and vanilla version of it would be pretty significant advancement or significant uh, uh, contribution to the to the protocol and just add a lot of um, um, value to the protocol and then just create more demand center and more room being bought and burnt and more. Bitcoin coming to the network and Ethereum coming into the network and swaps and trades and all these things. So like it would just create, you know, a lot of demand uh, for the, for the protocol. So 
I think that's still something that I have in mind. I don't know when that's going to happen, to be honest with you, but it's something I definitely like to see happen at some point. Awesome. Thank you. No worries. Uh, we've got uh, Michael. Oh, we just we just request again. Oh, yeah, no good. Go, Michael. Hello, hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. I just want to say hi. I appreciate what Rune is doing. Uh, what a great uh, protocol. Uh, my question relates to uh, basically two branches. It seems as though the ThorChain protocol is providing a lot of functionality in terms of what it does. But uh, from my understanding of the, value, the initial value proposition, it's a decentralized uh, cross-chain swap to swap different coins. And my question is, is the idea to build a lot of functionality like a bank and then slowly integrate more and more chains or are chains being integrated at the same time that the, the increasing level of functionality um, that the Thorchain provides. That's my question. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is, um, I look at this as like not an either or, or a, uh, it's more of like an and scenario. So we have an ability to do things on this protocol that nobody else in the industry can do. Like, you know, layer one Bitcoin loans, for example, like nobody else can really do that. So there's things that we can do that nobody else can. And, and it, it, to me, it would be a travesty if we just kind of like walked away from super valuable and super important services like layer one uh, Bitcoin uh, loans. Um, I think we can do a lot of things. We did savers. We did uh, lending. We did uh, cross-chain swaps. Since we did uh, bond providers, we've done, um, you know, we got perps kind of downstream, limit orders. We got like lots of things happening, uh, stable coins, like all these things. And so like creating a completely vertical DeFi protocol that basically does all the major things of DeFi and does them exceedingly well, I would, I would argue as well, and do them in a way that no other protocol can do, like, you know, doing it where, you know, you can apply this to Bitcoin, right? These, these protocols to Bitcoin. Like that is like, to me, that's just like the way that I see it is just like, we've just completely destroyed the rest of the DeFi industry. Like we are just doing things that are as far and away better than what everybody else is doing by a fucking mile. And so it's just like it, it, we, we have the ability to do things that, that nobody else can and we can do them better than everybody else can. So that's part of the reason why I want to see us do these things. It also obviously drives more value proposition to the protocol and more demand center for the protocol and obviously more demand for Rune and more demand for the pools and swaps and trades and LPs and blah, blah, blah. Like it just drives more and more and more and more value into the protocol, which obviously is a, is a positive thing in general. The second part of your question about like other chains – and this is kind of a really interesting topic because it's like and before we had actually really launched the chain, like way back when, we debated about like, okay, how do we add chains? We're just going to like add a new chain every month, you know, and then how do we decide which chains to add? And there's this kind of this mentality. And I think initially uh, our first kind of swing at it was just like, you know what, we're just going to go, you know, large M MCAP to smallest MCAP kind of mentality and just like start with Bitcoin, then go to Ethereum, and then go to da 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 and any, any layer one chain out there that's like, just like, you know, just go by market cap. And I think what, what, what I had learned uh, in that the folly of that perspective is that, that 
um, it's really two attributes that come to determine the success of a particular chain integration. One chain integration. One is the market cap of the asset, which is what we were focused on in the, in the, in the beginning. And the second part is how much does this chain, this layer one community, this, this ecosystem, how much do they want to be integrated, right? Because if you launch, you know, uh, uh, an empty uh, to an ecosystem that doesn't want to use it, then you're basically launching to an, like, you're basically creating like an empty shopping mall in a matter of speaking, right? Like nobody's showing up. And I think like Binance Smart Chain is actually a really good example of this because we we had talked about Binance Smart Chain for such a long time. Many people in the industry, in our, in our, in our community were saying, Oh yeah, this would be huge. Like Binance Smart Chain is massively large, like a huge trade volume. It's like a pancake swap, and da 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 da. And like, and that, that, that's not wrong, but like nobody in in Binance Smart Chain world was really even, even asking for this integration to begin with, right? And so we've launched Binance Smart Chain, and the the pool depth is like pff, abysmal, right? It's like nobody's adding liquidity, nobody's trading or swapping, it's just like not the right thing. Conversely. Uh, on the opposite side of that spectrum, we added um, uh, Terra to the, to, to the blockchain, you know, to our chain like a while back, obviously like a couple of years ago. And like that was hugely successful. Not, not, not just because it's, it was a large uh, asset, which, which it was to be fair, but because like Doquan was about it. The community was all about it. Everybody's talking about it. like Doquan was going to have like all the wallets of Terra integrate with Torchain directly. Like it's going to be not just like adding the pool, but like you know co-marketing, co-Twitter spaces, getting their wallets to integrate into Torchain so you can trade in and out more easily. Like that's really what we need to have. So for me, it's just like like in this time span where it's bear market, there's less interest in adding new chains. There's like less interest in, in spending the cost for node operators to like run this new infrastructure, whatever whatever coin this is going to be, and so like um, unless we have more like pull from other communities like Solana, for example, like if if Anatoly from Solana, you know, who runs the thing, and the rest of the community were like di- dying for Thorchain integration, then like I would totally get get on on the on the bandwagon and and integrate Solana. Despite how I personally feel about Solana, whether I even hold tokens or not, like how I feel about the, the, the chain that matters almost zero. What matters most is just like, does that chain have ac- economic activity and does that chain want to be integrated? Right. And for right now, there's nobody really asking to be integrated with the exception of maybe Dash and the exception of like Radix. Right. Uh, and so that's how I feel about it. But people are welcome to disagree with me or argue on that. I just want to add, when you look at uh, this last fancy chart, cumulative liquidity fees by chain. So this is what, what chains are producing the income. And the top three, and they're really by far, first one in order is BNB or Beacon Chain. It kind of makes sense. It's the first one. Sorry. First one is Ethereum. Then it's BNB and then Bitcoin. And then everything else, all the other chains, is just like way down the bottom. There's a big disparity between the, the top three and the rest. So that's you can see then the utilization of those chains. Um, BSC has just started, but it really hasn't got the same launch as Terra. You can see Terra um, is on this chart as well. So you want to make sure that it's going to be profitable. It's going to be utilized within Thor chain. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of of it being added? 
And really, there's just this top three that, that are producing the majority of the income for the network, and then the rest are, I guess, you know, roughage around the sides. So I think that's that's the argument of, well, are people going to use it? Otherwise, see, see, you just you just created a, uh, a solution that, that perhaps no one needs. Yeah, I, th- I think if we, like, if we integrated with, um, t- take Gaia, for example, right, which is not really getting a huge amount of volume, like, it's not because... Gaia sucks or something like this. It's not because nobody likes Gaia or Adam Token. It's just because like that community is just not part of the Thorchain community. And so, if we were to get like hypothetically get Kepler, you know, or one of the wallets or a couple of the wallets to integrate with Thorchain directly, and there's been some conversations with like you know with Sunny from Osmosis and other and other um, teams within the Cosmos world about like integrating and, and having like bitcoin trades and all this kind of stuff like that's really what it is it's like it's, it's not so much if you build it they will come scenario you have to like okay much you, launching is the first step now you have to like do the the long and arduous work of integrating that community with your community like the thorchain community and like that's the part that we kind of like just drop on the floor is we just like we do the first part we integrate with binance smart chain and then, like nothing else happens. Maybe we, you know, we integrate with, with Pancake Swap, you know, for uh, dex aggregation and that kind of stuff. But like, we just don't, we don't have the, the appropriate like team. We don't have like to really kind of like expand beyond that point and like really push there. But I think eventually, at some point, like as Thorchain becomes more and more uh, big as a protocol and more and more commonly used and kind of like more in the mindset of the industry as a whole. Then it would, it'll, it's a problem that will just naturally solve itself, to be honest with you. But we're just not there. I feel the argument for BSC was that Trust Wallet hopefully be able to add a lot of volume to it, and you know it it could potentially replace um, uh, BNB or Beacon. But then again, like there's there's there's, there's a bit of time before that might happen. So this is all the argument with BSC. And you can do good DEX integration um, on that as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at some point, we're probably going to have to get rid of the beacon chain because like, at some point, it's probably going to like die. Like, mm. Binance as a company is really moving away from the, the beacon chain and they're, and they're staying focused on Binance Smart Chain. That's, that seems to be where they think their future is, right? So at some point, we're probably going to have to drop BNB but, and just focus on BSC, but Right now, it's like it's it's generating so much yield and so much income for the protocol. It makes no sense to remove it right now. Even with BUSD, you know, is is going to be like dropped entirely. Yeah, you know, I think in February or something like this, whatever the hell, in a few months. But like to this day, it's still like a huge income for the protocol. Reminder: check all your wallets for BUSD and get rid of it. <laughs> Yeah, if you got any B- um, BUSD sitting in a wallet somewhere, just go ahead and sell that on Thorchain. Yeah, on Thorchain. <laughs> um, <laughs> becoming an LP uh, before now. <laughs> anyway, so uh, if there's anyone that else wants to speak, um, just just request. I did, I did have a question because it was put on uh, on Twitter. So the, the, there's been there's been some issues affecting wallets with regards to the um, the endpoints. Most of the force swap is down for maintenance, um, 
and I know the nine realms are quite endpoints are, are severely rate limited. Do, do you have? Well, I guess it's set in the context that uh, there's been an actor or, or a bunch of actors that have hit the um, the endpoints, which is what's a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the interfaces used to either quote to give you the information on a swap or to get you information, get your wallet history, get your transactional swap history, to get um, metrics and stuff like that. This all comes from blockchain to certain endpoints, and someone's been hitting them a lot, and it's been difficult to separate. Um, dummy requests from actual requests which starts to slow down the server, which is having an impact on, it's having an impact on AsgardX, an impact on Forceswap that run their own infrastructure as well, as well as other wallets. I don't know if you want to expand on that, Chad, and, and do you know what's happening, what Nine Realms is, is looking to do to implement API keys or, or anything like that in order to, to try and get around this? Um, so, I mean, I haven't really been actively engaged in this, in this all this happening on the Nine Realms side. Uh, I've been engaged in other things. But in general, like, DOS is, like, a common thing in, in just, like, in Web2, right? It's, like, you see it all the time. Like, GitHub gets DOS all the time, right, for example. Like, this is not, this is not an unusual thing. And to anybody who's involved with, like, internet security or whatever, that like, you know, DOS happens. It's just a frequent thing that just... It's annoyance, and it sucks because it just it just puts a drain on our on our resources as, as a team. Like Nine Realms has to spend a bunch of time to, you know, to increase rate limits or put things behind like I think Cloudflare or whatever, and it just it just it's just a drain on resources, and it's just annoying as fuck. Um, but like my viewpoint in general, and I think what we what I've been talking and we've been talking in general is that like is that that we don't want to be long-term or nine realms doesn't want to be long-term like runners of infrastructure for the industry as a whole. I think like we want to do that for, for some cases, like in the trust wallet case, we want to run, run infrastructure because to make, to make it easier for them to spin up and become, you know, integrating with us and not have to go them have them go through extra kind of hoops to, to jump through. Um, but we can just like, we can run a Thor node, for, for like trust wallet, you know, on a different domain, right, on a different server, and not, not to worry about um, being DOS as much, although it's still obviously possible through like Wireshark's and shit like this. Um, but long term, like what I wish people would would realize, and I think we haven't really quite figured this out in the space yet, is that the idea of a DOS to me is really a Web two concept. And that DOS doesn't really exist in the Web3 ID world. That's why every time you make a transaction on Bitcoin, it has a cost associated with it. That's why like DOS mm. don't really doing a. If I wanted to DOS nine realms tonight and go home and just go ahead and, and DOS them, the, the amount of money that it costs me to do so is like really not that much, right? But if I wanted to go home and like just DOS the fuck out of Bitcoin, it would be super fucking expensive, right? It would just be hugely bad for me as the as the attacker in the scenario so long term what the what the industry has to come to realize is that web 3 is not web 2 and we cannot look at web 3 like we look at web 2 and so when you use the internet today on web 2 like we're on twitter right now and this whole system is free and we're tweeting for free and we're on spaces for free and all these things that's the case because somebody else is paying the bill which is like the Twitter VCs and, you know, all this kind of stuff in this particular case. In Web3, nobody else pays for your shit. You pay for your shit. 
you want to make a transaction on Bitcoin and send some BDC to some BBC, BC1 address, you pay for it. Not Bitcoin, not, not Eric Voorhees doesn't pay for it for you. Like nobody pays for your shit except for you. And that's how Web3 works is you pay for what you use, right? And so like what my other project that I started working on, Archeo, is, is kind of gearing towards the doing is to create the, the Web3 infrastructure for uh, connecting to blockchains and running UIs in a way that users pay for what they're using rather than some team like ThorSwap, for example, runs their servers, they pay for it, they have all these like figure out, they have to figure out revenue models and blah, 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 and they have to figure out like how they can become profitable, how they pay salaries and all these things, and they do that through fees or whatever, how our investments or ads or like whatever mechanism people want to use. That is the Web 2 way of like solving these problems. The Web 3 is everybody pays for their what they use and everything's just like just more or less works as it is with the correct incentives and so forth and so on. And so what Archeo is planning to do is to create the entire structure for, for what we now use Web 2 for in crypto. We are now going to create the Web 3 rails of the equivalent we now see in Web 2 in crypto space. So we can completely abandon the Web 2 mentality, the Web 2 infrastructure, the Web 2 servers, and completely abandon Web 2 within the context of running Web 3 services, Web 3 platforms and protocols and so on and so on. So it sucks that Nine Realms is going through all this DOS bullshit, and it's really annoying and it's frustrating and just burning resources and time, and like, and I feel bad for Pluto and Ursa and all the different people that are currently working on this. It just sucks. It's just like, it's, it just, I, I wish they didn't have to deal with this shit, but apparently we do because that's the situation we're in today. But I, my feeling is that long term, is that Nine Realms does not run infrastructure for the entire industry. Nine Realms does not run infrastructure mm-hmm. at all, other than what they're being paid to do. Right? No, no more free services. You know, that's the only reason why this stuff works is because it's free. But this, this has been like the DOS works is because it's free. That's why you see a lot of uh, explorers that we use requiring API keys. Uh, we, as Guidex, just moved to. Uh, a block cipher, $130 a month API key, just so we can you know, actually get Bitcoin data. What's for ThorChain? We've thought about this as well. What, and I did have a question. What's the workaround? Can you run a trimmed, um, lighter version of a node in order to get the information and do queries? Could you run that? We thought about running a node, but it's not, a node's not an easy or inexpensive task. But are there like light node equivalents as in like a trimmed yeah. node instead of running a full validator. So you don't so running a full validator is different than running a full node. A full node is just like running a copy of the Thorn chain database, right? And running the full validator requires running a copy of every blockchain, which is obviously significantly more expensive and complex. But if you just want to run the nine realms, you know, Thor nodes, which is what you know, which is being DOS today. You can run it yourself, run a full node yourself, right? And you can even enable um, pruning so that you just, like, you don't maintain history. You just keep, like, the last, like, yeah. thousand blocks or hundred blocks or something. You don't need, like, oh, I don't, if you don't need to query what happened last week, then you can go ahead and just prune that data and just keep, you know, just keep a copy of the data, which is up to the tip, which that, that data is, like, not very much data at all, to be honest with you. So just, like, 
if you want to run a very simple and clean and easy full node, you can do that with very little uh, resources. You don't need a lot to do that. And it's part of what we're like, we want to do is we want to convince anybody that's actually consuming the nine realms uh, Thor node, you know, data, just like, just run your own, your own like server, right. And just centralize it rather than everybody just using nine realms free service, you know, Thor swap runs their own infrastructure and Thor wallet runs their own infrastructure and everybody just runs their own independent stuff. And there's independent of everybody else. And you can't, you know, DOS the entire uh, one server and, and take down a bunch of different services or whatever. That's, a, that's what we need to get to in the long term. In the short term, we have to just kind of deal with the situation we're in. But in the long term, we have to get to a much better place, which I, which I think we are. And I think Nylon knows this, and I think they're heading in that direction. I think for an interface, you'd need, you need you could probably do that, a trimmed one. And then if you had Midgard, the Midgard DB, then you pretty much got everything you need everything else is reliant on Excel um, Block Explorer. Correct. I'm looking for that. Let's just see if anyone's, anyone else got questions. Got no more requests to speak. Hopefully, um, hopefully Thorspot do, do get recovered. And this is where affiliate fees is important. Everyone wants a free wallet. I used to love Asgard X when it was free, but um, there has to be a process to to get to remove to, to become independent. So so interfaces, yeah, like I said, need to become independent in order to um, not be reliant on Thorchain or, or anyone else. They can just self serve. Well, Thorchain front ends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we need speaker Sheldon. Go uh, far away. Can you hear me? I, I had some audio problems for a second there. Am I in? Yep. Oh, hi. Um, I'll just keep it really short because I'm exhausted. Um, you guys going to be at Cosmoverse next year? You were talked about. I'd love lot. to be. <laughs> I was going to go, and actually, was I was slated to go this year, but then uh, some some personal things came up, and I, I had to kind of deal with, but. I would love to go. Well, you were missed. Hope you'll hope you'll be around next year. Yeah, that's it. Get some jackets to America. Really sure. Oh, sorry. I I don't live in America. Uh, live in Australia, so I have to get some books and jackets, some work trips, um, do some conferences, get some tax write off. Uh, but perhaps not this year. All good. I flew in from Kuala Lumpur. I've been uh, living in your neighborhood this year, but yeah, there there was some, um, you know, uh, drama as always there is in Cosmos. But <clears throat> yeah, Thor Thor was uh, was cited quite a bit. So hope to see you around. That's kind of funny because I always felt like within the Cos Cosmos like ecosystem that like Thor chain is kind of like a, some sort of black sheep. I, and it just it, it feels really funny and weird to me personally just because like we are like one of the oldest and one of the biggest one of the longest running and one of the most successful cosmos chains ever and for some reason it just feels like we're always excluded from the conversation of the cosmos world and i really don't understand why that is 
think, as we talked about, sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the politics don't shrink at all, but, you know, some people having a, you know, really scope of limited vision thinking that they need to only prioritize the, the, the next, uh, you know, delicious looking opportunity for um, whatever ICS is going to get implemented or, you know, whatever weird DeFi opportunity is going to pop up, you know, the, the, there's some retail market grade motivations there. But when I say everybody, I, I guess I'm adding the uh, in brackets with a brain. Yeah, that's I, I always like I guess it's just because because we don't do um IBC, we don't have a we don't have a bridge that we rely on in that way and people dislike us because we don't have IBC and we're not full cosmos chain quote unquote or something like this. I don't really know. But it's just kinda of funny because like we, we were <laughs> we've been around for such a long time and like and IBC is relatively new. Like we've been around for years before IBC even, you know, was launched or even discussed. Right, even if, even you know, so just like it's like I don't know. I just it just it feels so weird to me. I just don't get it. I had a thought as we talked about this board chat that board chain is we try to be ecosystem independent. Like you've got the BSC, you've got Ethereum land, the EVM stuff, you've got Cosmos, you've got all these little ecosystems, and board chain was you know, in a way kind of comes from the Cosmos ecosystem is always try to be um, ecosystem independent because that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to connect ecosystems. We're trying to allow you to go from BDC to um, to, to Cosmos land, to, to Ethereum land and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a way to, to, to manoeuvre in like a hub-spoke fashion. Did you feel, do you feel that independence is something that sets us apart or it's just that perhaps some people don't like what we're doing because we don't fit a certain mold. I think it definitely, it both helps and hurts us because like, imagine for example, that you're at lunch in high school and they get the table of the dorks, you get the table of jocks and the table of, of I don't know, so different clicks within your high school cafeteria. And for us, like, we don't really exist in every, and we don't exist in any of those tables, and we exist in all of those tables at the same time. And we don't get the the the, the advancements, not the advancements, but the, but the benefits of a of a community that already exists, a, a vibrant community that already exists that we can pull upon to grow our own community and our token from. Like, we don't have that in the same way that other projects do. And so, like, for example, like, if you were to launch a new AMM today on Ethereum, it is, you're starting off in an easier place than what we did because you already have an ETH community and there's ETH maxis and you can talk about how you, what you're going to do for Ethereum and these ETH maxis are going to get excited about it, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like they like what you're doing because you're, you're, you're kind of feeding into what they love. But for some reason, like, People don't necessarily make the connection that we're feeding into the like ETH matches don't really like us in some some sense, and the Bitcoin matches don't really like us for some sense. Like even though what we're doing is contributing to them, uh, they don't really have the same correlation. That's probably because 
we're telling ETH maxis that, well, we're bringing, you know, so you can get in and out of Bitcoin from, from Ethereum. They're like, well, I don't like Bitcoin. I'm, I'm an ETH maxi. And the same thing for Bitcoiners, Bit maxis, Bitcoin maxis. And so, like, because you're not fully feeding into their tribe, when you're talking to two different tribes at once, you know, splitting your, uh, um, your presence, like, we don't get the same reaction as if you were, like, a pure ETH play. Right, and I think it's. I think that's like the some of like the the just the one of the challenges that we uniquely have to deal with in this community that the other communities do not, uh, and we're one of the very few, few communities in the world that have that kind of challenge. So building our validators, building our token value, building our community, like all these things, in my mind, are actually more difficult in our case than it is to build some new, you know. Cosmos chain or some new ETH project or, or whatever. I would agree. And uh, I think uh, your tribalism analogy is really good. And uh, maybe it's just needs the right mindset from uh, a few people. I, I sat at five different lunch tables, probably goth theater, jock band and um, agri-science. Anyway, weird school, but yeah, uh, nothing about me personally. That's, that's good enough. Uh, thanks so much for entertaining the question. I, I can uh, I can put a cork in it there. The I, 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 I get that impression a lot from people who wander into the Telegram. The IBC convention thing, I've heard that many, many, many times. And it's that they come in exasperated, like, why haven't you done it? And then we have resources that show, like, listen, this is more complicated and nuanced. There's reasons why it could work and, you know, but it just doesn't really function the way that the way we're set up is ThorChain. Um, and it's really weird because we're literally trying to economically liberate the world here. I know that sounds over the top, but it's true. The point that we connect all ecosystems to each other, and we allow these basically these liquidity connections in between. It just makes everything better. Everything better about the space. It improves the freedom and it literally accomplishes the goal that we sought out to do. So the lack of excitement that when, when you tell people that you can swap layer one for layer one, this blows my mind. And I've been in this community for a while now. I mean, the things that we have done, I mean, real layer one yield on Bitcoin, ETH, Litecoin, Doge, whatever. I go to these communities on, on Twitter and I say, guys, did you know if you've got 3 million Doge, put it in the savers module and you're earning yield, you retain custody, you know, no KYC decentralized. And it's like, <laughs> what? I mean, where are you at? You know, where are all these people at? It's it's mind-numbing to me. I don't understand. But one thing I will say on the more positive note is, especially today, I'm exhausted because I've been talking with people all day, both in DMs and Telegram. There is excitement out there. And I, I think we are growing steadily. It It's illogical from my perspective that we're not explosively growing, but... It is what it is. I'm sorry. You actually uncorked a different question, just um, a short one. Um, you know, Doge is 10,000 units per block, uh, which I believe is minute. Um, is there a calculator I could look at for estimations of what that would be like? Because I, I don't hold Doge. It doesn't make sense to me now. It will in a few years, I think. But... Um, do you, do you guys have any uh, tools like that that I could direct people to to you know convince them? Because I have not been giving you guys the love you deserve recently. I've been overwhelmed with other stuff. I, I have to stay active on governance and near Polkadot and Cosmos. Um, 
it would be awesome if there was some, yeah. uh, you know, calculators for that sort of thing. Yeah, go ahead and DM me. I'll, I'll hook you up. I got all that stuff readily available. So when, when the space is over, I'll give you whatever you need. I, I have all that stuff on speed dial for you, buddy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Is there any other questions or anything like that? We had work related, but they seem to have dropped off. Any questions to request to speak? Well, if there's no one else, is this a good cutoff point? Yeah, we can do that. It's nearly uh, two hours. So. Oh, wait, wait. Here we go. Work related. Go. No. Go. Um, what are the chances of having a smaller rune amount allocated for to be a delegator? Like at the moment, it's like fifty thousand or higher. Um, is there any chance for a smaller cap? So there's no cap for a delegator. The cap that's being placed is. As based, based on the individual who's running the, the node itself. So they're, they're setting their own individual cap. So the protocol itself it has no actual limitation on this. Assume that answers your question. Well, is there anyone else who has any questions or anything before we wrap up? See, so, I assume that relates to pooled, a pooled validator. Um, and yeah, one thing, like what Chad said, there's no, there's no cap. I've seen people put in, you know, you can put in like 500 room to add to, add to a node operator um, as a pooled validator. So there's no, there's no real cap. Or there's no minimum amounts except for what the person said. They might say, "Oh, well, look, I'm looking for people that have over fifty thousand room in order to, to to add. Maybe they don't have as much, or some people that have got huge amounts, but they just want a little bit of a top up um, to try and get into the next chair to the, the bond wars uh, have started." So it really depends on who you're working with. It will depend on on whatever limits they they may impose. There has been. Um, talk, although nothing concrete quite yet, but there's been talk and debates about the idea of like having a like an auto bond system where you could put in some arbitrary amount of room and, and then and the network will bond it for you on various nodes like autonomously, even if you have like you know 10 rune or something like this. Um, the, the devil's in the details when it comes to these kind of things. Is we've always avoided doing delegated proof of stake for a whole host of reasons. Um, but mm. that is something we have discussed like kind of on and off the last few months, but it hasn't really been like in the forefront because we've been focusing on, you know, lending and things that are more, probably more important. But it is theoretically possible to do it 
and and I, I am warming up to it somewhat, but it implementation details are actually quite important on this particular thing to make sure that it's done in a way that, that doesn't um, counteract security on the network. Yeah, there was a change. There's a really good change. Also detailed in the article about um, splitting multi multi node operators in different Asgard vaults in order to reduce you know the the possibility of of capture of an Asgard vault as well. So you know they're the type of considerations I feel we have with regards to you know equipping you know one actor with huge amounts of bond across multiple nodes. Right. That was actually, in some sense, like if you wanted to go to the autobahn, like pathway. So, if, say you wanted to to arrive there, that change was probably the first change in a series of like four or five or six changes that we required to happen to get to that place where you could where you could end up in that place you wanted to get to. And so, if the first step would be to, um, if you run multiple nodes, um, you can inform the network that it's your one person running multiple nodes by have the same node operator address and the network will just like make sure all your nodes are spread out like you're not running all your nodes are in one one asgard or spread across multiple asgards which means your ability to you know civil attack the network or or civil attack a specific asgard vault is like you know basically pretty impractical second component to that thing to that I, that notion is that like applying that if you want to be a bond provider on somebody else's node that operator must be a multi-node operator instead of being like a single node operator. And the reason why that's important is because people who, if you are a malicious actor and you wanted to take over, you wanted to like, you know, get 12 nodes so you can take over one of the Asgard vaults. Well, you would want all 12 of your nodes to be in one Asgard, obviously, right? You don't want them spread out because then you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to attack, right? So uh, by telling the network that you're running multiple nodes, your nodes are naturally going to be split across multiple Asgards, counter to, counter to what you're trying to accomplish, which is you know trying to attack the network. So by so by allowing bond providers to exist in multi-node environments but not single-node environments, you make the the probability or the the the, uh, the possibility of of somebody cyber attacking an Asgard like significantly more difficult to accomplish, right? So that's, and there's other changes to be made as well, but that's kind of like one of the ideas being kind of passed around in some sense. That even like, even on the Autobahn side, like the Autobahn would only be deployed to nodes that are multi-node environments, not single-node environments. Or if you did actually deploy to a single-node environment as a bond provider, you wouldn't make any yield. That's probably how it actually would, would work in reality. Um, but I think that's something we can talk about downstream it's less needed now because this was a bigger deal like a few months ago when, when security was relatively low and we were, we were trying to mm. find more bond on the, on the security side. We were talking about cold vaults um, and all this kind of stuff uh, a little while ago. There's a lot of that talk kind of flew by the wayside just because we don't need to – it's a problem we need to solve anymore so much right now. At least. So it's not really an important, important issue to take on at this, this moment in time. But it was a few months ago. We can keep it on the keep it on the uh, on the docket, and you know maybe we can re revisit it, you know, some, some point in the future. Sweet. Um, I see Plato's in the chat, so I've invited him to to speak. Um, I'm not sure if he's seen the invitation. 
Um, if we any other questions, I will make a shameless plug for Asgardets. Uh, a new release was released a couple of days ago that has significant improvements. It's a lot lighter. It's a lot faster. So look at Asgardex under the new repository for uh, uh, 1.20.5, uh, which is really good. Low affiliate fee, which really just goes to paying for uh, some devs as well as the uh, API fee. Check it out, as got it. I'll do a video on it soon. Awesome. Good chat. Good chat. Yes, absolutely. Appreciate it. Awesome. All right, thanks, everybody. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, evening, morning, whatever it is for you. And um, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Okay, guys. Later. Take care, folks. Thanks, everyone.